Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style, a weekly podcast hosted by Pat Wesolowski. Pat began homeschooling her nine children more than 25 years ago. It didn't take her long to discover that co-ops were a perfect fit for her educational goals. Co-ops allowed her family to study together with other families, creating a safe and friendly environment that was conducive to honing public speaking skills. Sharing responsibilities with other parents lessened the stress and the workload. After years of organizing and orchestrating a variety of co-ops, Pat is here to encourage, teach, and promote homeschooling co-op style. Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style. The purpose of this show is to encourage and inspire homeschooling families to give co-oping a try. Today I'll be interviewing Stacy Farrell, the author of Philosophy Adventure. Thanks for joining me on the show, Stacy. Well, it is certainly my pleasure. Well, we're going to ask you all kinds of questions so our listeners will find out more about what this philosophy adventure is. So tell us a little bit about it and why you decided to create it. Well, you know, prior to embarking on the adventure of creating it, I actually had taught world, uh, actually world history, art and music history, creative writing, memoir writing. I even did some elementary Latin and biblical Greek, which don't ask me what I taught because it's one of those use it or lose it types of uh, experiences there. I had actually planned to write a curriculum that would combine art and music history. And then one day, my sons and I were involved in a speech and debate club. And I met a person who became a dear friend, actually the coach of the club. And she, her family and my family were just wacky enough to think that a fun way to spend a week in the midst of July was to see how many R.C. Sproul Consequences of Ideas DVDs we could watch in three days. <laughs> and at the end of that marathon session, I walked out of there saying, wow, ideas rule the world. It's not the military leaders. It's not the politicians. It's not the emperors or the kings. It is the those who um, release those ideas into society, frankly, it's not even the philosophers that rule the world. It's their ideas that live on after them. And what I became aware of is how so many things we think just are. We think it's just the way things are. It's what reality is. When, in fact, so much of what we think is filtered through the ideas that we have accepted to be the way things are. So um, philosophy adventure really flowed out of that experience. I realized that it was really crucial that we invest the energy to really uh, trace down the origin of ideas and to examine the impact of those ideas and really raise our awareness of the fact that it's not just the religious people who evangelize, Basically, anyone who is communicating their worldview, whether it's um, a commercial saying you deserve a break today or it's all about you or any number of messages, those are all, that's another, that's the world's evangelism. 
So All I right, let me interrupt you for a minute because yes. what you're sharing makes me think about my experience with Summit Ministries and the camp I've sent my my children have attended for years. And at Summit Ministries, they talk about ideas, and ideas have consequences. And and they talk about the importance of understanding that everybody does have a worldview, and our ideas grow out of that worldview we have. And it's so important we learn to ask the right questions and question the answers we hear so that we'll be able to think and, and articulate and use our critical thinking skills and come up with the discovery of, of truth. What is truth? And how do we know it is true? And it's kind of scary when you look at the educational system because, I don't know about you, but the school I went to was a chew-up, spit-out school. And as long as you chewed up what they gave you and you spat it back out on the test, you made good grades and you did well. And consequently, I was never encouraged to ask questions. And to this day, I still have to, I have had to train myself to ask questions. And even even today, I'll come home from an experience and I'll be telling my husband about it and he'll say, well, what about this? And what about that? What about this? And I'll think, oh, I didn't even think about those questions. But those would have been great ones to ask. So even at my age, I'm still learning how to ask questions. But I think one of the things that's so scary in the educational system is that our children aren't encouraged to think and they're not encouraged to ask questions and they don't even know where to start. And one of the reasons I asked you to be on the show today is because I think co-ops are such a great opportunity for children to get together and have discussions and brainstorm and think, and I'm always looking for good materials. And like you, I have a love of not just philosophy, but ideas and where they come from and which ones should we grasp and how do you discuss them and where do you go with them and what is our worldview, what should our worldview be, and and how do we share that with other people and is it important to share that. So when I see curriculum that's brand new that covers these things, I get really excited. So sorry to interrupt, but, but that's why I had you on the air today, too, so I want you to tell us more about the philosophy adventure. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned questions because the very first assignment in Philosophy Adventure asks the students to ponder and write the answers to the questions, where did I come from and why am I here? Why is there evil, suffering, and death? And is there hope for my future? And as a um, side note, I do um, mention that um, I don't know is an acceptable answer as long as the student's not using it just to ditch the assignment, basically. <laughs> right. But, but what right. I discovered, actually, um, teaching this in a co-op setting, I discovered that students would address these questions sometimes just by doing the very thing that you describe um, is necessary for survival in institutional settings. They would parrot back what they had heard in Sunday school or at, you know, in the, in a church setting, I actually had the students in the, when I taught this live, in a live classroom, the first paper that the students did was an apologetics paper. Um, In the curriculum itself, it's actually a biographical narrative speech, kind of following the design of the IEW curriculum where they're allowed to take one of the lessons and basically paraphrase um, and create a speech but in, when I taught it in the live classroom, I had the students do these apologetic speeches. And boy, that was such a benefit to do in a group setting because parents, actually parents were also present in the co-op, parents were able to see that the students really had not grasped 
the answers. Right, they they were just parroting. That's exactly. what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah, I, you know, I've taught worldview seminars for years, and I will I will go in front of elementary children, and I'll read a question purposely out of a book, and the question begins with, or it's a statement, millions and millions of years ago. And the statement is, millions and millions of years ago, there was no sun. And I say, is that true? And they'll all say no. They'll say no because they've been taught that millions and millions of years ago is not something we believe in. So I'll say, well, wait a minute, what's not true about that statement? Was there a sun millions and millions of years ago? Well, we don't know. Probably not. Most likely not. But they're already saying it's not true. And and then I say, why did you say that? And and how do you know that might not be true? And sadly, in most of the situations, and even after I would teach the elementary kids, I would go do the same thing with the teenagers. Most of them could parrot back what they've been taught, but they couldn't defend their answer. And they couldn't even many times present what other people might believe to be different answers, which is a scary thought, too, because then when they leave the home and they get out in the world and someone says, oh, wait, you haven't heard about this, this, and this, their jaw will drop to the floor and they won't even know what to say. So when they're little, I say, it's okay to say, my parents have taught me this. And it's okay to say, I don't know, but I know how to find the information. I'll look it up. And those answers are okay, but don't adamantly state something as truth if you can't support it or defend it. And and that's a scary thing that, that a lot of us as homeschooling parents, and I was guilty of this too for quite a while, is just filling them full of information that we think is going to take care of them for the rest of their lives, and that's not what they need. You know, one of the things that I discovered through the process of researching Philosophy Adventure, I didn't realize that years ago there was a day when atheists were embarrassed to admit that they were atheists because Christian apologists had so thoroughly defended the the faith, the Christian faith, that it's not that there weren't atheists or agnostics, it's just that they really couldn't defend their position. One of the things that is so heartbreaking to me and really drives me to teach students, we don't need to fear doubt. We don't need to pretend we believe something that we don't believe. We need to dig in and love the Lord with all our mind, ask the questions respectfully, seek out answers. If you honestly seek out answers, it is stunning what you'll find. And that's one of the the motivations that I have also for philosophy adventure um that's great you know i've told my children too i said ask all the questions because if what we believe isn't true the sooner we discover that the better and i have a relative who is not a believer and he always was trying to um, well he it wasn't that he was trying to change my children's minds because he was too respectful to do that but he was hoping when they got old enough he could have conversations with them but i would encourage him to talk to my children when they were younger and I'd say share what you believe it's okay because if what you believe is true and what we believe isn't the sooner we find that out the better and and yet he still felt like he shouldn't do that but I told my children it's okay you can ask all the questions you want to ask that's a good thing and you know this last year at summit I was able to sit in on some of the lectures at Bryan College and they had a man sharing how he came from Islam to Christianity. And you know what was so interesting? He was raised in a um, pretty strict 
Muslim home, and he had to memorize everything they were expected to memorize. And he mm-hmm. said, we learned apologetics. He said, we knew how to answer the Christians. He said that there weren't very many who tried to engage me in conversations. He said, but the few who did, he said, I could say stuff back to them so quickly. I knew more of the Bible than they did. And and he ended up sharing that it wasn't someone's head knowledge that brought him to the Lord. It was a relationship, and it was a, a man in college who friended, befriended him, and then they decided to discuss their different ideas and search for truth together, and he ended up becoming a believer. But it was so interesting for me to realize they purposefully were trained to be able to answer a Christian argument. You know, So they were ready, and they had an answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that I also realize is that Many people think of philosophy as an elective or they think right. of it as, as something that really um, is the antithesis of a biblical worldview. So they um, they fear it. And Same thing with they public speaking. Yeah. Yes. Public speaking and philosophy. I mean, those are two things that are so important, and yet they're either left out or they're, they're thought of as elective. Put you on know, the back burner. Mm, absolutely. I have a background also in fiction writing, and I realize that to engage this culture in a subject like philosophy, it needs to be gripping. I basically, um, I really respect Linda Hobar. I like her style of drawing in the readers, making, breaking down world history um, into bite-sized pieces so that um, people can enjoy it. And that's real, that, to a great extent, was my goal with Philosophy Adventure, is to really process a lot of research, break it down to where um, it's a story. Because we retain stories. You can read a textbook, and you can study hard, and you might be able to get a really great grade on a test. But um, just like my Latin and my Greek background, use it or lose it, there's the chances of you retaining what you learn in that type of with that type of learning technique is um, minimal. Right. <laughs> However, tell someone a story, and years later um, they're going to remember details of it. And right. frankly, these philosophers, I this volume covers pre-Socratic philosophers. And these are colorful characters. These are just some some wild, some humorous stories, some frankly frightening stories. But that's very much very much my objective also is to put it in a story format. And then I support that with memory cards, with quizzes, with notebook notebook philosopher notebook pages. The design of this curriculum is intentional repetition. I don't know if it's just because I'm older now, but I don't think so. I need to hear something three times for me to retain it. I have a dear, dear friend who perceives herself to be just academically inept. She will read something that goes one, you know, goes just right through. She doesn't, can't retain it. And I have come to realize, especially with a subject like philosophy, we need pegs to hang information on. Not only do we need a story so that we're engaged and we can retain it, but we also need to revisit um, the information. And so the design of this curriculum, it's designed where you read a story, 
you work with some flashcards, you do a notebook page, and you mine information out of the lesson, and then you take a quiz. And what I actually did in the co-op setting is I actually allowed students to retake the quiz if need be because my objective was not to – it wasn't a, a test on testing. Right. It was trying to give them information that they're going to carry through their entire life. These philosophers laid the groundwork for much of Western civilization's thought processes. And so I really, it was, it was really important to me to do far more than, you know, to run students through a curriculum and expose them to something. I wanted to really anchor the information. And so that's a, that's one of the features of this curriculum. And that's great. And, you know, I, many parents are afraid to teach philosophy, which, number one, what you've put out is going to make it a lot easier. But number two, if you do it in a co-op situation, you have other parents to support you or that who might be willing to lead it. But your curriculum makes it so easy for them, too. But having the kids together to be able to hear it and discuss it and flush it out, that is just so important, I think. Why Why do you think parents – well, I know why I would, would be afraid of teaching philosophy because I never had it. I didn't understand it, and I didn't even grow to love it until I attended some of my children's lectures at Summit and, and began understanding the importance of philosophy. And it, it is sad that it is an elective and that there's not more importance placed on it. But then again – I think the goal of our educational system is not to raise up children who think well. It's not. You know, it's to raise up lemmings who spout out what they've been taught, and and that's just that's not good, and we, we want to overcome that. So I think your, your curriculum really addresses that need. Tell me what you have found as far as parents being afraid to teach philosophy and how have they benefited from using your curriculum? Well, you know, I've had both parents who were afraid and didn't want to touch it, and I've had parents who had philosophy in college. And the encouraging feedback that I've received is that it just basically reads like a magazine. It's just easy to access the information. And frankly, Pat, writing this was an amazing journey for me. Each lesson has some bomb in it, so to speak. Um, Each lesson, I discovered things that were mind-boggling. I researched, probably read 200 or more resources, both podcasts, journals. And it's amazing when you approach the information from the perspective of just trusting God. Um, I had cancer years ago, and that really was a paradigm shift. I came to understand through facing my mortality that sooner or later I am going to be standing before the creator of the universe and all of the things of the world are going to be irrelevant. What's going to matter in that moment is what I've done for him, just the reality of, you know, am I living today for that ultimate destination? That said, everything that I read, all of those, all that material, I was on a treasure hunt looking for the Lord in the, in, in all of this research. I read many secular scholars and what really kind of set apart my exploration was the, the just total belief in a scriptural, a biblical worldview. Because of that, 
As I was researching Thales, the father of Western civilization, and when I became aware of the fact that he lived during the same time frame as the prophet Jeremiah, and then when I was reading how he put such an emphasis on the role of water as the essential substance from which all life derived, um, I just it just brought me to the creation story of um, the spirit hovering over the waters, and I started wondering, hmm, I wonder if this Thales had any contact with the prophet Jeremiah. I wonder if he had any exposure to the Hebrew scriptures. And as I was researching that and trying to find something about that, interestingly enough, I came across a quote from Bertram Russell. Now, for people who don't know who Bertram Russell is, he is a staunch, or was a staunch atheist. He was the one who clued me into the fact that the prophet Jeremiah's final destination reported in the scriptures was a Milesian fortress. Thales was from Miletus. So the fortress that the prophet Jeremiah landed in was staffed by Milesian mercenaries. Now, the prophet Jeremiah was famous in his day, probably as a traitor to the Hebrew people, if you read um, his warnings to them and and how he swam against the stream there. And Thales was famous in his day, and he predicted a solar eclipse. How likely is it that the two, if they didn't actually have any contact with each other, at least were well aware? Yes, exactly. And, wow, you know, what a gem. <laughs> anytime you can get a hostile witness to, te- to testify in support of your position, my gosh. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one thing to have a believer say, oh, yes, I think they had encounters. But actually, Bertrand Russell, his position was that he didn't think that the Hebrews would have anything to do with the pagan Milesians, which just mm-hmm. caused me to think, me think thou dost protest too much. And each lesson that I worked on, these eight pre-Socratic philosophers, there was some stunning discovery just in league with it. I I would be tempted to tell you what they all are now because it's just it's it's really it's amazing. But but I better not. Yes, you better not. But you do have, having said that, you do have a sample chapter of the book on your webpage so people listening can go look at that, correct? That's how I, yes, the first place absolutely. I saw it. And the webpage is, what's the address to it? Homeschooladventure.com, www.homeschooladventure.com. If you sign up for our newsletter, you'll um, get an extended sample, which includes memory cards, notebook pages, quiz, and frankly, if anyone who's doing a an ancient history study, this is a great compliment. There's only eight lessons. Frankly, just the one lesson could augment your studies. And I don't know if I mentioned, but I was incredibly blessed. Linda Hobar actually has endorsed Philosophy Adventure. She We connected at a conference, and she was interested in the curriculum. She's a busy, busy woman in the process of writing the fourth volume of Mystery of History, she just happened some months later to pick up her copy of Philosophy Adventure, and she said she couldn't put it down, which was just an incredible, (laughs) incredible um, encouragement to me. 
Oh, that is great. Well, I will put the, the webpage address on the – we have a Facebook page for this show, and then we have a, a post we put on the Ultimate Homeschooling Network, so I'll be sure to include that in both places so people can look it up and see the samples to it. We need to take a break right now in order to share a word from our sponsor. Be sure you have a pencil handy. Do you need to teach advanced writing and speaking skills? Do you want to equip your students to discern the truth about the ungodly messages that bombard them every day? Do you wonder how you can possibly cover everything they will need academically as well as practically? We may have your solution. Philosophy Adventure is a program designed to help students cultivate and defend a biblical worldview by teaching them how to write skillfully, think critically, and speak articulately as they explore the history of philosophy and the impact of ideas. Philosophy Adventure can be used as a primary curriculum or as a supplement to your ancient history studies. Learn more about this exciting new worldview resource at homeschooladventure.com. Together, let's equip students to answer anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in them and to do so with confidence, gentleness, and respect. Visit homeschooladventure.com. And now, back to homeschooling co-op style. Now, you have other subjects that are included in philosophy. You combine them with other subjects. What subjects and why did you do that? Uh, Well, the explanation we give for the curriculum is that philosophy adventure helps students cultivate and defend a biblical worldview while learning how to write skillfully, think critically, and speak articulately as they explore the world of ideas. And it's kind of funny, we invested quite a bit to create a very uh, visually appealing layout. There's color, there's images, but there's also interwoven in the lessons the story, interwoven with the story of the philosophers' lives, the biographies, are a writing lesson, a critical thinking lesson, and a public speaking lesson, as well as a geography piece, um, a an article about the school of thought that each philosopher either founded or was a part of. And each lesson concludes with a bit of primary source and then, which this is generally speaking parents' favorite part, an analysis of how the philosopher's ideas compare to a scriptural worldview. And sure. that that part is has uh, surprises in each one, actually. <laughs> but many people have commented that the Write, Think, Speak articles kind of question why are those interwoven into the story? Why didn't I just put those at the end of each lesson or at the end of the book? And I was very intentional about that. Not only do we need to educate our students on what they believe and why they believe it and the origin of ideas, but we need to cultivate communicators who can give an answer with gentleness and respect and really explain why they believe what they believe. And so really, you might say that the design of the curriculum is a philosophical statement of the importance of honoring the scripture in First Peter that says that we should give an answer with gentleness and respect. And always right, well, prepared. your mission statement of, of the curriculum sounds like my philosophy of education. So, Wonderful. personally, I think you just nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, it is it is so important. You know, I'll tell a little story. We years ago I was teaching in co op, the the children were young and we had talked about the importance of being ready to give an answer. And we, we ended co op have after having talked about that, we went to the playground, the kids were playing, the parents were sitting on the bench. We could see the children playing football at the far end, we couldn't hear them. We saw a couple of boys from the the area come play football with them a while and then leave. We got in our van to leave and I said who were those boys? And we, they, my children said, we don't know. They just wanted to play football. And one of my sons said, guess what they asked us? And I said, what? He said, they asked us if we were Christians. And when we said yes, they said, dang it. And I said, and what did y'all say? And he said, nobody said anything. So the next week at co-op, I said, you know, I have good news and I have bad news. And I said, and I have an apology. I said, the good news is someone asked you for the reason, for the hope that you have. The bad news is you didn't recognize that as an opportunity. And my apology is they're not going to come up and say, what is the reason for the hope you have? I should have explained to you. It's going to look like something different, like, are you Christians? And then dang it. (laughs) I said, so what should you have asked them? In fact, I use this illustration for years in worldview seminars with elementary kids, and for the most part, very few of them had an answer. But at, at one seminar, in fact, the little boy started out up against the wall on a Saturday morning with his arms crossed, and I knew he wanted to be anywhere but a worldview seminar on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. But he ended up being one of the most engaging students of the day. And when I told that story, I said, what should you have asked them? And he said, I should have asked them why they said that. Did they have a bad experience? What was it? And I said, yeah, I would want to say, you know, if I know that I'm going to live forever with a new body in heaven with no sin, sickness, sorrow, disease, that's wonderful. Why would you say, dang it? You know, what is it? What happened to make you think being a Christian is such a negative thing? So I explained to the kids, you need to be aware that that question is going to be worded in many different ways, and then you need to be prepared to give an answer. So, Girl after my own heart there. <laughs> but it is hard. You know, children just, even this little co-op I just finished, today was the last day of an American Girl co-op, and we talked about the importance of asking adults questions. When they ask you a question, give more than a one-word answer and return the question with a question. And it was so neat because the week after we did that, one of the little girls came into co-op and I said something to her and she paused. You could tell she was thinking those wheels were turning and she asked me another question. So then I high-fived her and was so excited. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. She was getting it. She was practicing. You know, that reminds me of another um, important ingredient that we included when we taught the Philosophy Adventure in a Live setting. We have another resource. It's the Wise Woman with Literary Analysis Journal Questions. And that's a work that was, the story itself is actually a fairy tale that was written by George MacDonald, who was mentor to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, as well as a number of other famous writers. He lived in the 1800s, and he just is a masterful storyteller. What The reason why we selected The Wise Woman is The Wise Woman is a story that unmasks pride, arrogance, conceit, self-centeredness, and it does it in such a smooth fashion, you don't even know what hits you when, you're, when, it, when it does. Wow. And part of the reason why we did that is because here we are teaching students when they go to a party and they walk into a room, they know things that nobody else at that party know, including the adults there. 
And there is a tendency, as the scriptures say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Mm-hmm. Which, which is why we selected the wise woman as a companion to the philosophy adventure studies. And is that a study that boys would be involved in as well? That's a great question. You know, we actually, if you visit our website, we have a video gallery. Um, one of my sons has created some Lego stop-motion animations. Um, some are called Philosopher Adventures. One of them is a trailer for the Wise Woman book. In fact, the story has a couple of other titles, including The Princess Rosamund and a double story. And it is not a girly story by any stretch. There are slobbering beasts and there are kings and there are, I mean, it's its a classic fairy tale that frankly you could read to a four-year-old, you could read to a 90-year-old grandparent, Wow. equally engaging in both instances. Um, it has been used in a small group setting, in women's groups, as well as a, an independent study for middle school and high school students. Now, would you use it alongside, beforehand, or after Philosophy of Adventure? Well, when I taught Philosophy of Adventure, I taught it as a core curriculum. And we used Philosophy of Adventure as the history, the worldview, the um, communications, the geography, and then we used The Wise Woman as literature. And I also had another resource that we are just getting ready to finalize and launch, actually on C.S. Lewis's birthday and Good Friday we're opening up pre-sales. That's Mere Christianity Critical Analysis Journal. That was a great companion. These students, um, they would do the philosophy adventure assignment, notebook pages, memory cards. There's a timeline also which is really um, beneficial because you're able to see the biblical characters that lived at the same time as the pre-Socratic philosophers as well as some of the rulers of the time frame. It's, um, there's a careful balance when you do a timeline of enough information but not too much right. where it right. starts all blending together. Well, you know, and you saying what you've shared makes me realize, and, and I think this point should be made, it's often a dangerous thing to raise up a teenager to be articulate because <laughs> with that comes quite a bit of arrogance at times and a haughty attitude. And so it is hard to to raise them up to be able to defend and articulate and share and yet stay humble. And, and that's so important because that verse in Peter says, with a meek attitude, with a gentle attitude, yes. we want them to be ready to be me and not arrogant and I know everything and condescending. And, you know, we were involved in speech and debate for years too and you it sticks out like a sore thumb which yes. kids think they, they are have arrived, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so I know it's all parents. It's a desire of every parent to raise a child who has the knowledge and the discernment and the ability to articulate but remain humble about it. And, yes. and so that that excites me. I didn't even know about that curriculum, so yes. I have to go look at that too. <laughs> and there is one other piece of the puzzle that I thought was absolutely essential. The other resource that we use is Philippians in 28 Weeks. And what Philippians in 28 Weeks is, is it's a 28-week curriculum, devotional, Bible study 
that at the end of that 28 weeks, you have painlessly memorized the entire book of Philippians. It is amazing how easy it actually is to memorize an entire book of the Bible. It sounds so daunting, and yet it really, if you just break it up, it has flashcards. You do one flashcard a week. You do three questions that really cause you to ponder the amazing treasures contained in the book of Philippians. You have a uh, recitation chart where someone can test you on your retention at the end of each chapter. And actually, my sons, well, there's a story, and there's also a sample on the website of this. Anne Voskamp is a blogger best right. known for uh, 1,000 1, Gifts. Yeah. She um, she actually was an early inspiration to me. She encouraged me back in 2007 when she was just a lonely blogger scratching in the night, as she would describe. But she is well known for encouraging people to memorize scripture. One year, she put out a challenge to memorize a book of uh, either, I think it was Colossians or Philippians, by Easter. She put out the challenge in January. She linked to some resources, and I, we were involved in speech and debate, and life was crazy, but I thought, this is really important. This is something that we need to do. So I talked to my sons, and we didn't actually use the resources that she recommended. I had planned to create flashcards for my sons. When I create flashcards, rather than just write the text and wherever we run out, we break the sentence and start the next line, I'm very intentional about making each line a thought, followed by a thought, followed by a thought. So I had intended to do these flashcards for my sons. But what we did do is we started reading the book of Philippians every day from the start of January. And life got busy. We did read the book every day only takes like 15 minutes to read the entire book of Philippians. But in the busyness, I had a homeschool fail. I did not get those cards made for my sons. And so eight weeks passed. We had a total of 16 weeks between the start time and Easter. The goal was to have the book memorized by Easter. At week eight, I looked at my sons. I looked at my own failure. And I had to make a decision. They didn't have the cards. Eight weeks had passed. Are we going to bail on this one? And I just got stubborn. And I thought, no, this is the word of God. We are not bailing. We're doing this. And so I made the cards, and I handed them to my sons, and I said, bye, Easter. And I thought, hmm, you know, in the back of my mind, I didn't tell them, but I'm thinking, well, we'll just have to see how this goes. There's grace if they can't you know, achieve it because it is very much, you know, was my responsibility and I fell short, And but I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And three weeks later, those stinkers had the entire book memorized. So wow. it was a total of 11 weeks. And what I really discovered is that when you read the book every day, whether you intend to or not, the Word of God just gets ingrained. You're memorizing it without even realizing it. When you formalize it with the flashcards, then it just pulls it together. And Philippians in 28 weeks actually 
um, takes that one step further and it asks some provocative questions. Again, rather than have someone zip through a Bible study or, you know, parrot back what they've been told, some of these questions dig a bit. And really, um, the book of Philippians for our day now with, um, you know, persecution and the rise, a lot of people experiencing suffering, it is a powerful book to meditate upon. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite books. And, you know, I was encouraged to memorize a book a few years back, but it was the book of Titus that I I memorized. And I realized after learning it, how much of a bigger picture you oh, get absolutely. knowing the entire passages. It's just, it's great. And and our co-ops, we've always had scripture memory. That's been a part of it. In fact, my son today just, his co-op ended, and he got the prize for the scripture memory. It was uh, Romans 13. And he, he learned every verse, and he did well yes. with it. But I love the idea, having a niece and a nephew who were in Bible quizzing, and oh my goodness, they've memorized most of the New Testament. So it can be done. I mean, and then we hear about Fanny Crosby, who was blind and memorized these huge portions of Scripture, Old Testament and New. And we we just take it for granted because we have ten copies sitting in our rooms. <laughs> right there, and it's available. But, you know, when I was years ago in Bible college, too, I had records of the Scripture, and I would turn on, I was studying James for a class, and I would turn on James every day and just play it over and over and over. And you're right, just hearing it, just yeah. hear it, it sticks. You know, yes. you, you can hide it in your heart and it doesn't take that much work but you're it's equally important to understand you know why he was writing who he's writing to and and the context of what he's writing about so that it just becomes so rich so meaningful well, that's exciting to hear about that that curriculum too yes. and by virtue of revisiting the book over and over each each time you visit it there it deepens your perspective not only sure. do you get the overview but the Lord has that amazing way of just bringing certain verses to light at certain times. And so that's another aspect. The other thing, that really was part of what drove me in taking Philippians, our experience with Philippians, and formalizing it so that other students in our co-op setting could have a similar experience. We don't know all over the world people, the Bible's banned all over the world. We don't know that we'll always have free access to Bibles. It'll be like the book of Eli, that movie, which I did not love. But (laughs) the only reason they ended up with the scripture was because someone had memorized it also. Walking epistles. That's basically what we hope to produce with that curriculum. And it also was a great counterbalance as your philosophy adventure does present all of the philosopher's ideas contrasted against the biblical worldview. There's protection there, I think, to kind of circle back and answer the question, why are parents afraid to teach philosophy? I think sometimes they're afraid because of some of the ideas that their students might be exposed to. Philosophy adventure answers that by framing everything from a biblical worldview But in addition, when the students are memorizing the book of Philippians, they're having, they're just being washed with the word. And then when they have the counterbalance also of the wise woman keeping their pride in check, the third component, mere Christianity. I don't know. And that's something you're fixing to launch? And so C.S. Lewis's birthday must be close to his death day because his death date is soon. 
It is. I, I he died the same day JFK and, and Aldous Huxley. They all died on the same day. Isn't that yes. crazy? I think it's even the 50th anniversary of his it death. It is. It is. 115th birthday and 50th anniversary of his death. Yes. On the 23rd, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, because it was 63. 23rd and 29th. 63, I was in fourth grade. (laughs) (laughs) I remember where I was when JFK got shot. I did not know who C.S. Lewis and Aldous Huxley were. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that the three of them on the same day? Yeah, such different worldviews of those three, right? (laughs) Kind of like Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. Kind of makes you scratch your head. What's that? Did they die on the same day? Pardon? Did they die on the same day? Yes, I believe they did. Edit it out oh. if they didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can make that a challenge to our listeners. Look that up and let us know. There we go. I think find they that out. Yeah. Well, you know what? I find I find two main reasons. This is just my observation of why children raised in Christian homes often walk away from the faith. I didn't become a believer till I was seventeen, so I was older, and I I think. That makes a difference. I think it's harder for us to raise children in a Christian home, to have them understand what they've been saved from and to love it and yeah. to, to have the joy that an adult would feel when they come to that realization. Mm-hmm. But the two things that I see that I think cause more kids to walk away from the faith, one is hypocrisy. And, you know, we're all hypocrites. Just It's worse yeah, in some people's lives than others, and it's worse yeah. in our lives sometimes than others. But we are all hypocrites. And so our kids say, well, you know, how can you spout off all this wonderful stuff and then have these moments. And so they see that and they think Christianity must not be real. What they need to understand is we're not God. We're not perfect. We've been forgiven, but we're not perfect. But hypocrisy turns many, many people away from Christianity, and that's sad, and I understand it. We need to work on that. But the other thing, I think, is not exposing them to other philosophies and other belief systems. And I know some people say, no, 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 you just give them the scripture. That's all they need. That's it. And I know one of the books I read... Um, the guy was a Jane. He, it's, it was called I Sold My Soul on eBay, and he was raised in Chicago with uh, groups of Janes. There were a lot of people, and this is an Eastern religion. And then his dad got transferred to Knoxville, Tennessee, and he got moved to a public high school in Knoxville, Tennessee, and there was not another Jane in the high school. And he immediately thought, wait. If this is true, it should be pervasive. It should be everywhere. People should know about it. They haven't even heard of it. And he became an atheist. And so his book talks about his his different experiences he had with people of different religions and why he rejected them and things like that. So it's very interesting. On the other hand, I see kids in our worldview seminars who, when I say, how did the world begin? And they say, God created it. And I say, what do other people say? They don't even have a clue. <laughs> they don't have a clue. So if they're going to go sit in a classroom somewhere and have some teacher who sounds very intellectual yeah. tell them he studied and got his Ph.D. and knows what he's talking about, and, oh, you haven't heard about this, this, and this, and he's going to make it somehow. I, I don't quite understand how people can listen to people who say, yeah, gravity proves there was no God. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> but, you know, they have these arguments and then and then these kids question it and they think why didn't I ever hear about this yeah, and were my yeah, parents yeah. afraid to tell me and so I do think it's very important that they understand worldviews and that they do learn to ask the questions so adventures in philosophy is, is just great I'm so glad you wrote it I'm glad it's out there I'm glad people are going to be able to um, check it out on your website and purchase it and I'm especially glad it's going to be so easy to use in a co-op setting because that means a lot to me personally <laughs> wonderful it's important for us to explore the world of ideas to explore philosophy 
while our students are still under our roofs, rather than have them be introduced to secular ideas, a variety of worldviews by someone else, how much better is it for us to do it while we're right beside them and we can we can answer questions and frankly we can perhaps even answer some of our own questions. One of the things that is wonderful about exploring philosophy, when you dig in, when you get past the intimidation, you see that nothing compares to the marvelous truth that the Lord's revealed in his scriptures. God's word stands. It's logical, it's orderly, it's solid. Frankly, when I was studying philosophy, there were times where I realized that if I didn't have a solid biblical worldview, I basically would be tethered to nothing. You start thinking deeply about thinking and it's a slippery slope. It's a dangerous it thing. <laughs> and that's why, you know, the scriptures tell us, it doesn't say don't be exposed to other ideas. It says don't be captured by them. And we know the Apostle Paul even used what he knew about other philosophies and beliefs to share what he believed with other people. Exactly. Most of us underestimate the relevance of philosophy. But, you know, whether we realize it or not, philosophers' ideas they have a profound impact on our daily lives. You know, as I said earlier, philosophers are the world's idea men, and their ideas are the real movers and shakers of history. You know, I, I deeply admire Nancy Piercy. She's an award-winning writer and a deep thinker. Total truth. Yes, she observes how the philosophy of secularism has effectively undercut our freedom and dignity within this culture. She asks a profound question, and I quote her here. She asks the question, who's writing the script of your life? Most people are not reading philosophy books. They're picking up ideas about life from the books they read, the movies they watch, art, literature, and other cultural forms. That's where we are most likely to pick up secular ideas, often without realizing it. And as Nancy points out, we're exposed to philosophy whether we're intentional about it or we're just bombarded by it. You know, Christians are called to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ, as it says in Second Corinthians 10.5. And how can we destroy arguments that we aren't even aware of? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. To do so, we have to be unwakened, awakened to the ungodly messages that assault us. And we have to be equipped to counter those messages with truth. And that really, in a nutshell, was the goal of Philosophy Adventure, to awaken and equip students to thoughtfully engage in the world of ideas. And it's so important, and, and that's why I'm so excited about this curriculum and that it will be so easy for so many parents to use to tackle this often intimidating <laughs> subject matter, but one that is so important. So we're about out of time. Do you have any final words you want to share? I, I already know we're going to have interviews, more interviews in the future, because there's just so much more to talk about. And I'll put your information on the Facebook page and the Ultimate Radio page so people can look at all the things you offer, which I'm excited to know about those I didn't even know about before the interview. Well, a couple of things. One, um, true confessions, I'm more a writer than a speaker. 
And so I really, if anyone is intrigued here, I really would encourage them to go to the website homeschooladventure.com and check out the sample. I think one sample lesson and, and someone will be able to evaluate whether or not that's consistent with their learning style. And the second thing that I would say is that we're just really excited. We're getting ready to put the Mere Christianity Critical Analysis Journal on pre-sale. So beginning on C.S. Lewis's birthday, which is November 29th, if you visit the website, you'll see a listing for that, and you can explore that. As I had mentioned when I taught Philosophy Adventure, we also used the mere, the incomplete at the time, Mere Christianity Critical Analysis Journal. And that is just, it just reinforces all of the ideas that are explored in Philosophy Adventure. I don't know if most people realize, but in, in reality, C.S. Lewis was a philosopher, and he was not only an apologist, but a philosopher. He really addressed many of the challenges, philosophical challenges of his day. And the thing that you find with philosophy is that it's timeless. The challenges um, just resurface. The, the same challenges, the same questions that were asked in ancient Greece are being asked today, were asked in C.S. Lewis's day. And it is just a, an amazing thing when you hear someone as masterful as C.S. Lewis answer those questions. I know there was a young man who had experienced a lot of trials in his life. His father had cancer. He had medical issues. His faith was shaken by suffering, really. And when he worked through the C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity Critical Analysis Journal, he came away saying that he his faith was restored. Um, he got out of that parroting what he heard in Sunday school and moved into a place where he found there really are solid answers for what we believe, for our hope. And so, so the, I, that would be my well, Let me ask you about that. Is, is that something you could also adapt to a co-op situation, or is that something that you do at home individually? You know, the C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity Journal is something that could be used individually by middle school and high school students. It could be used individually by an adult. It could be used in a small group setting. It could be used to great effect and was used in a co-op setting. Some of the discussions that we had in the group as a result of working through the journal questions were exciting because it really moved a number of students from the parroting and head knowledge to processing and heart, owning it with their, their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Great. That's great. And is it set up in chapters? I mean, how, what time period? Okay. Uh, Mere Christianity is a series of four books. The first book has five chapters, second book has five chapters, I think the third one has 11 or 12, and the fourth one 11 or 12. And so it is the type of study that, frankly, you could just say, okay, we're going to do the first book, and at the end of each chapter, there's anywhere from 10 to 16 journal questions and space for writing in your answers. You could either have everybody read the chapters, which, by the way, the chapters are only three or four pages long. They're, um, they're very brief, but they're 
half. Each one actually tackles a subject and explores it. And C.S. Lewis is speaking both to unbelievers and believers. And he crosses denominational lines. He's very, it's a very, it's mere, merely Christianity is what he is addressing. Not a given uh, denomination or doctrine. He does the best that he can to just stick with the very basic tenets of the faith. And well, as you know, well as, what, what sounds good about this is, the fact that you came up with so many questions because not only is it good for the children to have to answer the questions, it's good for them to be exposed to good questions. And that does help you learn to ask the right questions, you know, as as you're exposed to good questions being asked. So I'm excited about this one too. That's I want one of everything. Yeah. <laughs> well find me up. Yes, it's coming your way. Oh, that is great. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. I'm I'm glad about everything you're putting out and that, that your passion is to help our teens think about the serious things of life, to understand their worldview and what truth is, and to be able to articulate it, defend it, share it, and probably most importantly, remain humble and meek and gentle while they do it. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today and to answer these questions, and we'll be sending people towards your website so they can take a look at what you have to offer, too. Thanks so much, Pat. It's been just a delight talking with you. All right. Well, God bless, and we'll have you on the show soon. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, this has been Homeschooling, Co-op Style.